Good morning and welcome. And the Lord be with you. And grace and peace to us all in the name of Christ our Lord. It is a joy to gather with you on this fifth Sunday of Lent as we draw closer to the cross of Christ, as we find ourselves at the table of the Lord, and as we know a place set there for each of us. Uh, as you look at the bulletin cover, just a reminder of that is the message set before us this morning as we gather at the Lord's table, remembering the cross of Christ as it is shared from uh, the letter to the Philippians. As we journey deeper into Lent, just a reminder, we have two more midweek services before us. Each Wednesday at noon, we gather here <coughs> in the sanctuary. The Reverend Libby Grammer of First Baptist will lead us in worship this coming Wednesday. Bonnie Lee Witt of the local hospital will lead us on the 17th. Then we have the Maundy Thursday service the evening of the 17th. The crosswalk at noon on Good Friday. 7 o'clock tenebrae service in the chapel. And then, of course, the sunrise service Easter morning at 7 o'clock. I hope these services are marked on your calendars, and I look forward to sharing in these wonderful times of worship with you. Just a reminder for the other ministries as we find them in the bulletin, thank you for your support. And just a reminder as well that as we gather in this time of worship, we will have opportunity to celebrate the worship ministries that God entrusts to us. And we look forward to Jill Gardner, our Director of Music Ministries, witnessing to us of how our giving helps accomplish much in the worship and service of God. I invite us to prepare to worship God together.
Our call to worship is before us. I invite us to stand as we share in this call. Lift up your voice and call out to God. We cry out, believing that God hears us. Come together and wait for God. We come together, trusting God is still speaking. Surely God's presence is here with us now. We wait and hope God's steadfast love lifts our hearts. Come, worship the Lord.
I invite us to go to God as we pray. Our opening prayer is before us. God of power, God of mercy, you bring forth springs in the wasteland and turn despair into hope. Look not upon the sins of our past, but lift from our hearts the failures that weigh us down, that we may find refreshment and life in Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, holy and mighty God, forever and ever. Amen. I welcome the Vaughn family to lead us in the extinguishing of five of the Lenten candles. Uh, there will be a prayer following the extinguishing, and then we will share in the response of Ah, Holy Jesus. As we draw closer to the cross of Christ, we see how Jesus remains faithful to God the Father. Jesus denies himself in order to serve others. Though being equal to God, he gives himself for the sake of you and me. Though Jesus could save himself, he gives his life so as to forgive from all sin. This love of Jesus is the greatest love of all. During these 40 days of Lent, you and I are invited to live like Jesus. We are invited to deny ourselves in order to serve our neighbors. We are invited to love God above all others. We are invited to love our neighbors as ourselves. No, this is not easy, but according to Jesus, this is what matters most. And especially in the season, we know that Jesus walks with us and gives us strength and power to live more like him. Let us pray. Thank you, Jesus, for, having, for living as the faithful son of God. Thank you for loving us so much. You give us your life for us. Help us to live a life like yours, a life in which we show our love for God and for our neighbors. Amen.
Our first scripture lesson comes to us from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. It is what we know as one of Isaiah's servant songs that anticipates the life of service lived by Christ, the life we are called to live as well. Let us pray. Lord, we pray that we would feed upon your word as it is proclaimed, that we would find ourselves satisfied, that we would find ourselves nourished to draw closer to you and to love our neighbor. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not fail or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his law. This is the word of our Lord.
from Paul's letter to the Philippians, the third chapter. <coughs> Let us hear the word of God. If any other man thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as refuse in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own based on law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that if possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brethren, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we know it to be true that the story of the conversion of the Apostle Paul is one of the more well-known of stories from our scriptures. In fact, it is a story told not once, not twice, but three times in the book of Acts. And though none of these accounts come to us from the hand of Paul, but rather from Luke, we still lift up the conversion of Paul as an inspiring event. Having met Christ as he was traveling to the city of Damascus, we recall Paul's Damascus Road conversion. So impressive is this conversion as recorded in Scripture. If our conversion is likewise dramatic, we may refer to our own Damascus Road experience. It may be we even set up the conversion of Paul as representative of a life change from a life that did not follow Christ to a life that now follows Christ. Still, Paul is something of a strange convert because you and I know the shape conversion stories so often take, don't we? We know some of the details gathered within so many conversion stories. And we know that we have heard our share of conversion stories. And having heard them, we know that they often goes something like this. I was making all kinds of bad choices. I was running with the wrong crowd. I was caught up in drugs. I was drinking too much. I was hurting the ones I loved and those who loved me. Then I found Jesus, and my life turned around. And there are some variations on this model of conversion stories. It may be the one converted is not down and out, but appears to be living a quite successful life. 
She has a nice job, nice home, nice car, nice clothing, no drugs or alcohol. Still, she may speak of emptiness. She may speak of living a life unfulfilled, a life lacking purpose. Then she meets Jesus. She now lives a life fulfilled, a life full of purpose and direction. Now, these are all blessed and inspiring stories of conversion, stories for which to praise God and to give thanks. But these stories are much unlike the story of this most famous of converts, the Apostle Paul. Again, Paul appears to be something of a strange convert. He tells us, us, tells us this more than once in his letters, including in this writing that we share from the Philippians. I say this most famous of converts is a strange convert because his conversion story, we notice, appears not to fit the model of conversion stories we so often set forth as the model that conversion stories are to follow. Again, we heard what Paul said. There was no Jew more faithful than he. There was no one who lived more according to the faith than did Paul, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, one of the most noted of tribes of Israel, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, this convert had been a Pharisee. So zealous was he that he persecuted the church. And according to the righteousness the law required, Paul is without blemish. So brothers and sisters, there's nothing here telling us that this convert is a miserable man. There's nothing here telling us that Paul is living a life lacking purpose. Nothing here that tells us Paul is looking for a life of greater fulfillment. Not at all. But he's going to tell us of the life he once lived, a life he has now left behind. And why does he want to look back on that life and tell us of that? Because Paul, again, is engaged in debate. This is a man, we notice, who is frequently engaged in debate. Debate about any number of topics. This is true for practically every letter Paul writes, including this letter to the church in Philippi. This particular debate, well, are, there are those in the early church who disagree with Paul about the things that matter most to God. They are telling Paul, Paul, you, you're missing the mark here. You've got it wrong. You are turning your back on those things that matter most. You are abandoning those things that matter the most to God. But oddly enough, Paul responds to these opponents by telling them, well, the very things you are saying I should do is to gain the favor of God, I've done all that. And here Paul again, no one more committed to the demands of the faith than he. We know his witness, again, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee and persecutor of the church, blameless under the law. You see, those with whom Paul debates are those telling Paul that what he needs to do is to obey these things to gain the favor of God 
and we hear Paul's response. Do you hear me, folks? The very things you are telling me are necessary for earning the God's favor are the things I've accomplished. Not only that, he says, I'm betting none of you are my equal when it comes to fulfilling what you believe God requires. But here's what I found out, says Paul. As good as my life was, as accomplished as I was in that life, as venerable as that life was, it was nothing compared to the life I found when I found Christ. As good as that life was, I gladly set it aside for the life I now live in Christ. And to tell you the truth, says Paul, I count that life as loss when I set it aside for the life I now live in Christ. Again, quite the strange convert. This is not a rags-to-riches story. There's no overnight sensation. Instead, I had everything. But compared to the life I now live in Christ, it was nothing. Not only that, says Paul, the life I find in Jesus Christ is a life shaped by the cross, the life I have found in Christ is found only as I lose myself. Only as I die to myself. A pastor named Tom Long gives voice to this experience very well. Because Tom Long writes, cross bearers forfeit the game of power before the first inning. They are dropouts in the school of self-promotion. They do not pick up their crosses as a means for personal fulfillment, career advancement, or self-expression. Rather, they deny themselves and pick up their crosses like their Lord because of the needs of other people, standing with those who are weak, opening the doors to those who are unacceptable, loving those who are unlovely, Bearing a cross may look to the world like a tragedy, but in God's eyes, it is a triumph. It's a triumph Paul sets before those in the church who instead would say, what matters most is right doctrine. What matters most is adherence to tradition. What matters most is determining who is in and who is out. To these persons in the church, Paul says, I used to believe that too. Then I found Christ. Then all else changed. The late biblical scholar and preacher, Fred Craddock, recalls the early days of his faith, those days in which he was responding to God's call upon him, taking seriously his studies, preparation for ministry. His studies included the reading of material written by Albert Schweitzer. Schweitzer, we remember, was a man of many interests, a man of many gifts, 
He was a physician, a philosopher, a writer, a humanitarian, a theologian, an organist. He was no Jill Gardner, but he could play a few tunes. It was a particular writing of Schweitzer's that grabbed the attention of Craddock, a writing initiating this remembrance that Craddock shares. Craddock writes, I think I was 20 years old when I read Schweitzer's Quest for the Historical Jesus. I found Schweitzer's theology woefully lacking more water than wine. I marked it up, wrote in the margins, raised questions of all kinds. Then one day I read that Schweitzer was going to be in Cleveland to play the initial concert for a new organ in a big church up there. According to the article, he would remain after the concert for conversation and refreshment. I bought a Greyhound bus ticket, Craddock was living in Knoxville at the time, and I went up to Cleveland. All the way there, I worked on his book, laying out all my questions on a separate sheet of paper. I figured if there was conversation following the concert, there would be room for a question or two. I went there, I heard the concert. I then rushed into the church fellowship hall, got a seat in the front row, and waited with my questions. After a while, he came in. Shaggy hair, big white mustache, stooped and 75 years old. He had played a marvelous concert. You know, he was a master organist, medical doctor, philosopher, scholar, lecturer, writer, everything. He came in with a cup of tea and stood in front of the group. And there I was right in front with my questions. <laughs> Dr. Schweitzer thanked everybody saying, you've been very warm and hospitable to me. I, I thank you for it. I, I wish I could stay longer among you but I must go back to Africa because my people are poor and diseased and hungry and dying. I have to go. Then he added, we have a medical station at Lambarine. If there is anyone here in this room who has the love of Jesus, would you be prompted by that love to go with me and help me? says Craddock, I looked down at my questions. They were so absolutely stupid. And I learned again what it means to be a Christian and had hopes that I could be one someday. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have lost all else, in him I have found all that matters. Amen.
remain standing to affirm our faith with the Apostles' Creed, number 882. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven, is seated at the right hand of the Father, and will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I invite us to go to God as we share in the prayers of the people. This is a time of responsive prayer. I will name various petitions, concluding each with the words, Lord, in your mercy, inviting from you the response, hear our prayer, and inviting you to name those concerns upon your hearts as well. <coughs> Let us pray. Hear us, Lord, as we pray. For the people of this congregation, Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray for those who suffer and to those in trouble. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers for this local community. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy, hear us, Lord, as we pray for your world, its peoples, and its leaders. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, in your mercy. Lord, we pray for your church, its leaders, its members, and its mission. Lord, in your mercy. For Bishop Weaver, Bishop Lewis, Janine Howard, Denise Bates, the ministries of First Church. Lord, in your mercy. And hear our prayers offered within the communion of saints, those whose voices are joined to ours and those who find their place at your table with us all. In Jesus' name, amen. Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. I invite us to share in this prayer of confession and to receive the good news of God's forgiveness. Let us pray. Lord of abiding love and infinite patience, 
be with us this day. We have come from times of stress and difficulties, as well as times of hope and joy. We bring to you our concerns and our fears, and you offer your healing mercies. We have let events and demands crowd you out of our thoughts and our actions. Yet when we come to this, your house, we seek your forgiveness. Turn our lives around, Lord. Help us look at the ways in which you bless and care for us. Help us be people who will reach out to others in loving compassion. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. And hear this good news. Christ Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Thanks be to God. Amen. And let us welcome one another as we share the passing of the peace. Stewardship to one season of the year, but rather throughout the year, remind us this is an ongoing ministry and your gifts throughout the year accomplish much again for the sake of God. I'll ask our ushers to come forward. We will have our prayer, and as the offering is received, again, Jill Gardner will speak to us of the stewardship of the music ministries of this church. As Jill concludes, we'll then ask the ushers to return, and we'll share in the doxology. Did you want to stand here? Or you Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you entrust all gifts to us. Your love so, uh, for us so profound that you withhold nothing, not even your own son. Accept these gifts, return to you, and in your care may they accomplish much for the gospel of Christ. Amen. Good morning. I get to be on this side of the chancel area in order to be able to smile and see all of your faces together. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to be in the house of the Lord. And I also am very thankful to stand today to speak of, to you of the stewardship of the music ministries here at, at First Church. Um, as I said to Gail in the early service, I love the teachers. My mom was a teacher for 35 years, and so... In the influence of a good teacher, I always, at that moment, choose to go to the dictionary and actually look up again <clears throat> what the word stewardship really means. Because sometimes I think we need to be reminded. And the, the definition of stewardship is the careful and responsible management of something entrusted to one's care. And so when I thought about that, I realized um, what a joy it is not only to be at First Church, but <coughs> the legacy that I follow. It's very clear that I am just one of the many in the long line of excellent leaders and stewards that have led the music ministry at this church for many, many years. And I'm so thankful that I get to actually continue to interact with these very people. The first person who comes to my mind is that gentleman sitting there on the, on the chair in the choir loft, Byron Corcoran, but we all know him as Corky. 
He has been in this church for so many years, and now, really, I'm blessed to know that he is a mentor and a friend and a colleague, and that as we continue to think of the direction that the music ministry needs to go, it is not unusual for me to meet with Keith and Corky to talk about this. And not every church gets that blessing. I've served many to where I felt like I was a lone sailor in the night. But I'm so thankful for this. I'm thankful also that the past two weeks you, you had at the Oregon Bench, your long-standing organist for many years that worked alongside of Corky, Rebecca Smith, Becky Smith. It's wonderful when she and Fred can be with us in our, in our church, and I am thankful for her friendship in this process. And I don't want to forget Bob Chapman either. I know Bob comes to us through the Presbyterian and the Baptist Church, but um, again, these people I take very, um, I consider it a blessing, and I take it very seriously that they are in my midst and that we are looking back as we go forward. Therefore, the legacy of the music ministry at First United Methodist is vast and clearly has always been a spiritual and a cultural beacon in this community. And I thought of that because I, just like in our hymn singing today, in the anthems that the choir sings, I do want this music in this church to be a part of your devotional life. It's important to me, sometimes I've heard people say, no offense to our pastor, that hymn was what blessed me today more than anything else in the service. And I spend a lot of time thinking about that. And I want that to be a part of your experience. I want the music to lead you into a deeper and more meaningful walk with Jesus. Because as I say, I'm a Christian, but more than anything, at this point in my life, I'm a follower of Jesus. And so I want that to be a part of your life here as well. In our current program, just to talk a few minutes about what our program is, more than any, anything, I'm so blessed to have this adult chancel choir in my life. We've become friends and families together, but we come together to put music before you in the glory of, to the glory of God. And I consider them the biggest blessing that I have in this musical life here at First United Methodist. Our children's choirs, under the very gifted leadership of Beth Chapman, Bob Chapman's wife, they continue to grow, and we are so excited about that. And later this month, Beth and myself and Matthew Hoover will be meeting to talk about further enhancements of the children's program. I'm particularly interested in wanting to start a young adult choir and however way we can fashion that, because I know in the past few years that attendance has fallen off. And it's very important, I think, that we provide not only program but ministry to young people today as they, they find their ways through the world. Special programming. It's wonderful today that I'm getting to speak to you before we go into Holy Week, which is one of the finest weeks of the church year. We prepare for this the entire year. So that next Sunday, Palm Sunday, the children will be presenting the tale of the, two, the three trees in our, in our um, 11 o'clock worship. We will be joining with the folks from the early service in support of the children's ministries, and so I know that you will be blessed by this. Um, as well, we will have our Maundy Thursday service, 
here in the sanctuary, and especially this week following our annual crosswalk, on Friday night, I would like to invite you to the chapel, because I love the chapel. I love this space too, but I love the chapel. And we will be presenting a tenebrae service that evening that will, that will reflect upon the seven last words of Christ. The adult chancel choir is planning special music for that, and we will be joined by the cellist Evan Ritchie, who is on faculty at Wake Forest and Salem College down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. It promises to be a very haunting service and one that I hope will become a tradition in our church. And all of this leads to Easter, which we are going to blow it out. <laughs> <laughs> we will have the Brass Five from Roanoke here, a brass quintet with percussion, the adult chancel choir, and we will be doing traditional music as always, but in the spirit of what happened in our sanctuary on February the 24th, our unity service, we're going to do a little bit of a gospel throw it down at the end of our Easter worship too, because I know so many of you spoke about how much that meant to you, and I want to continue that. So um, finally, just to throw this out there, I forgot to mention this at the early church. There have been several folks that we have begun a conversation as we, as I believe that we are fighting for our, not only spiritual, but our cultural awareness in the world, about the idea of possibly having a community music school begin here on our first United Methodist campus. Probably it would, would be in the ministry center, but there have been several folks to talk to me about this, and I want you to know I hear you and the possibilities of, of what that could become, I'm excited about. So, as I said, I humbly ask you to continue to support these vital ministries. I ask you to pray for me and my husband and our life together as we want to serve you. And I ask for your continued prayers for all those involved in the music ministries at, at First United Methodist Church. It is a blessing and it is an honor. Thank you. We have the doxology and then the choral anthem. Let us stand.
behold the body and the blood. And we gather as Christ has called us to do so in remembrance of him. We share in the great thanksgiving. You may follow along as it is posted before you or beginning page nine in the front of the hymnal. There are three responses that we will offer in song. Our choir will lead us in those responses. And again, as I offer the great thanksgiving prayer, it will differ slightly from what is in the hymnal uh, because it is poor late in the season of Lent. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and It is right and a good and a joyful thing always and everywhere to give thanks to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. In love you made us for yourself. And when we had fallen into sin and become subject to evil and death, your love remained steadfast. You bid your faithful people cleanse their hearts and prepare with joy for the Easter feast, that renewed by your word and sacraments and fervent in prayer and works of justice and mercy, we may come to the fullness of grace that you have prepared for those who love you. And so with your people on earth and all the company of heaven, we praise your name and to join their unending hymn, Blessed is your Son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent in the fullness of time to redeem the world. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in our likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He took upon himself our sin and death and offered himself a perfect sacrifice for the sin of the whole world. By the baptism of his suffering, death, and resurrection, you gave birth to your church, delivered us from slavery to sin and death, and made with us a new covenant by water in the Spirit. On the night in which he gave himself up for us, he took bread, gave thanks to you, broke the bread, gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you, do this in remembrance of me. When the supper was over, he took the cup, gave thanks to you, gave it to his disciples, and said, Drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me.
And so in remembrance of these, your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ offering for us as we proclaim the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit on us gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. Make them be for us the body and blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ, redeemed by his blood. By your Spirit, make us one with Christ, one with each other, and one in ministry to all the world, until Christ comes in final victory and we feast at his heavenly banquet. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit and your Holy Church, all honor and glory is yours, Almighty Father, now and forever. there is one loaf we who are many are one body for we all partake of the one loaf the bread which we break is a sharing in the body of Christ the cup over which we give thanks is a sharing in the blood of Christ this is the table of our Lord which each of you is invited the ushers will lead you forward there will be two stations here at each of these stations a piece of the bread is offered you're invited then to dip that bread into the cup that is before you, and you're invited as well to kneel here at the communion rail for a time of prayer. Please come to the table of our Lord. The choir will come first. I invite us to share in our closing prayer as found at the bottom of page 11. Let us pray. Eternal God, we give you thanks for this holy mystery in which you have given yourself to us. Grant that we may go into the world in the strength of your spirit to give ourselves for others. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please stand as we sing.
we go as a light into this world and we do not forget that, that we let our, shine, our light shine for the sake of Christ. And we go in the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.